Junfeng Yu's new book, Passing the Light, The Incense-Like Community and Buddhist Nuns in Contemporary Taiwan, published by U- the University of Hawaii Press in 2013, focuses on a community of nuns in Taiwan founded in the early 1980s and discusses the appearance and development of this community within the context of rapidly changing social and economic circumstances in Taiwan during the last half of the 20th century. Based on extensive fieldwork and numerous interviews conducted between the mid-1990s and 2013, you provides the reader with a vivid picture of daily life in the seminary and a close examination of the Buddhist education classes for lay people taught by the nuns. Along the way, she explores the appearance of Buddhist seminaries in China during the Qing and Republican periods, the transformation of Taiwanese nuns from individuals devoted to Buddhist ritual and personal salvation into religious teachers of the Buddhist laity, the changing demographics of the Taiwanese Buddhist nunnery, and the development of curricula that incorporate both traditional Buddhist subjects and secular ones. Through used detailed presentations of the instructional materials used to educate both nuns and laypeople, the reader begins to understand the vision that informed the activities of the incense-like community, as well as the way in which this particular community of nuns dealt with modernization and its concomitant challenges to, to traditional Buddhist education, practice, and belief. However, perhaps the most compelling aspect of this work is its ability to draw the reader into the lives of individual nuns and the complex social realities of life as a Taiwanese nun during the past half century. This book will be of particular interest to those researching or interested in its issues of Buddhist modernization, Buddhist and Chinese views of gender, female monasticism, and Buddhist education. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to New Books in Buddhist Studies. I'm Luke Thompson, the host of the channel. Today we'll be speaking with Chin Fang Yu about her new book, Passing the Light, The Incense-Like Community and Buddhist Nuns in Contemporary Taiwan, published by the University of Hawaii Press in 2013. It's part of the University of Hawaii Topics in Contemporary Buddhism series. Chin Fang Yu is Shenyan Professor uh, Emerita of Chinese Buddhism at Columbia University and Professor Emerita in the Department of Religion at Rutgers. Chen Fang Yu, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Luke. Yes. Um, th- thanks so much for joining us today. I, r- I really enjoyed the book, and um, I hope that those of our listeners who have not read the book yet will do so after hearing the interview. So, uh, Professor Yu, I was wondering if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself, uh, where you uh-huh. were born and or grew up, uh, how you came yes. to the study of Buddhism, and uh, the study of China and Taiwan, also any important influences in your life, for example, mentors or academic advisors who shaped you? Yes. Um, I was born in China, uh, in mainland China, and uh, uh, my parents um, left uh, uh, with us, uh, left China, went to Taiwan in 1949. Mm. You know, so I attended uh, elementary school, uh, middle school, and college in Taiwan. Mm. Uh, I majored in English literature, actually. Mm. And I came to America. Uh, originally, I was planning, you know, to uh, receive, uh, to study comparative literature, actually, mm. and go back to Taiwan to teach, um, to teach English literature. Mm. Because in those days, uh, there was really no department of religion, uh, nor were there any courses uh, on religion in Taiwan. Hmm. So my, but I was always very interested in religion, uh, particularly 
uh, in the Chinese religious traditions, such as Taoism and Buddhism. Mm. But I learned them through t- uh, by taking courses uh, in Chinese history and Chinese literature. Mm. So after I received uh, my MA degree from Smith College, mm. uh, I, ha- I happened to have a chance uh, to find a summer job uh, teaching, uh, actually working as a TA, uh, at Columbia, uh, teaching Chinese Mandarin. Oh, okay. uh, and I've discovered actually, you know, there's a religion, uh, you know, there's a department of religion, and you can actually get a PhD in religion. Mm. So, so I was uh, very excited, and I decided, uh, you know, switch, uh, my direction, direction of my research, and, uh, trans- uh started studying at Columbia. So, uh, so that's the beginning of, you know, my formal study of religion. I see. Uh, and, uh, now of course I decided, uh, to specialize on Buddhism. Mm-hmm. My, yeah, my interest in Buddhism actually is connected with my grandmother. Mm. I grew up with my maternal grandmother and she was a very pious, uh, Buddhist. Mm. You know, so she, um, you know, she's actually a believer of Guan Yin. Mm. And so she introduced me to stories, uh, about Guan Yin, like Princess Miaoshan, for instance. I mm-hmm. heard from her, you know, when I was about six years old. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I decided to study Chinese Buddhism at Columbia. I see. And, uh, uh, as for my teachers, uh, you know, my, my dissertation advisor is Professor DeBerry. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the one, you know, who emphasized the importance of actually looking at uh, uh, Chinese Buddhism after the Tang. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in those days, uh, the conventional wisdom, you know, is Buddhism reached the Zenith in the Tang, and after that, it will be steady decline. Mm. But he was the one who suggested, you know, I should uh, look at Buddhism in the Ming Dynasty, you know, mm. because there's great deal of interaction between Buddhism and New Confucian mm. uh, and Taoism, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, uh, so, so my dissertation was on a very prominent uh, Buddhist uh, uh, cleric in the Ming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, I would say, aside from Professor DeBerry, uh, was uh, Professor Hakeda mm-hmm. uh, who, uh, and Professor Yamposki. And I guess the three teachers at Columbia, mm-hmm. you know, who, who helped me a great deal in my study. Mm. And, uh, and then in addition uh, to my academic teachers, I will have to mention uh, Master Sheng Yan, mm. uh, who founded the Dharma Drum Mountain in Taiwan. And mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, uh, one of his earliest American students. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, he came to America, he came to New York, in 1976, mm. you know, he was uh, the first Chinese monk who received a PhD uh, in Japan from Taisho University. Oh. Yeah, and his dissertation was also on the late Ming uh, mm. master. Uh, so he came to New York in 1976, and I uh, started studying meditation with him, and I took refuge with him. Mm. Uh, so he was my refuge master. Yes. 
<laughs> I, so, 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 so your first connection was with him was actually during your time in New York, not during your uh, time right. growing up in Taiwan. I see. No, no. Yeah, I met him in New York. Right. right. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but since then, of course, you know, I've, I every time I went back to Taiwan, uh, you know, I would see him, and through him, uh, I got to know in other uh, Buddhist communities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, now, as uh, as listeners familiar with your work will know, uh, much of your previous writings are concerned with Ming period Buddhism, as you just mentioned, uh, and also with the career of the Bodhisattva Kuan Yin in China. Yes. So, uh, all um, so seeing that this is the case, how did you come to write a book on nuns About in contemporary, contemporary Taiwan? Yes. Um, well, you know, um, over the years, I've been teaching uh, a course you know, called Buddhism, Women and Buddhism in China. Mm-hmm. You know, I became very interested in Buddhism gender uh, mm-hmm. as a result of studying, uh, doing research on Guan Yin, uh, but also uh, because, um, you know, I, I taught a course in, on that topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's always the difficulty of finding uh, a text, you know, finding reading material mm. uh, to assign to students. Uh, and, uh, and because I've been going to Taiwan uh, almost every year, mm-hmm. you know, because my parents, before they passed away, uh, they lived, uh, I would go back to visit them, you know, almost twice a year. I see. Uh, and also I knew a number of Buddhist communities. And so I noticed about maybe 25, almost 30 years ago, you know, there's mm-hmm. a very, very exciting phenomena. Mm-hmm. You know, namely, there's a large number of uh, uh, highly educated women uh, who uh, decided to become nuns. Yes. You know, they were college graduates, uh, and then they decided to become nuns. Mm. And uh, uh, so I thought this would be very interesting new phenomena because it's so different, you know, from uh, um, traditional uh, situation where you know, usually not only there are much less nuns quantitatively, you know, more monks than nuns, mm-hmm. also uh, nuns tend to be less educated mm. and, and less, they had less, uh, you know, uh, uh, power. Mm. Um, that, uh, whereas in Taiwan, it's just the opposite. Mm. You know, there's the proportions, uh, some say in the four to one, you know, four nuns for one monk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, many of them, you know, like 85, 80% uh, were college graduates. Mm. Uh, so this is very uh, unprecedented phenomena, you know. So, um, so I just decided, you know, since I have the chance, you know, to, um, you know, to do some field work, mm-hmm. uh, it, it would be good for me to, uh, you know, to look into it. Yeah. So that's how it started. I see. So then your, your, um, I mean, you, your first day at the Incense Light community was in 1995, but, but you're saying that long before yes. that you had already begun looked, looking into right. the yeah. phenomenon of, uh, this sort of resurgence or rise right. in, of Taiwanese nuns. Well, I've always been interested in women. Mm-hmm. In Chinese Buddhism, you know, mm. both nuns and lay women. 
Yes. Uh, but, uh, but to, the decision to, to, recon- to study contemporary Taiwanese nouns actually came, uh, came by chance. You know, because in 1995, uh, while I was, um, uh, I was, I was uh, doing research on Guanyin actually. Mm. On my, the, the previous book. Sure. And I was invited by various Buddhist communities and Buddhist seminaries, uh, to give uh, intensive uh, courses, uh, on how to study Chinese Buddhism. Mm. So I, uh, I was, uh, introduced to the Xiangguang community, mm. uh, by, um, by member of by a nun, you know, who is a member of that community, who happened to attend an intensive course I gave elsewhere. You know, so she invited me to go to her home temple and give a, a, a series of lectures. I think I see. two weeks, actually. Mm. So that's how I first met them. Okay. And, and so during that time, I found, you know, there's a very small community, you know, less than 100, so very different from uh, the other large Buddhist communities like uh, Buddha Light or, uh, or Dharma Drum. Mm-hmm. Right? And another characteristic is that this single sex, I mean, they're all nuns, whereas the other Buddhist communities you know, have, uh, have both monks and nuns. Yes, I see. So, right. Okay, well, thank you. Um, so moving on to the content of the book itself, in the introduction, you set out the questions that guide your study. There seem to be three sets of questions here. One concerns the motives behind any given nun's decision to enter the Buddhist monastic order. Yes. A, a second set of questions concerns the actual education of the nun and the acti- activities undertaken by nuns. Right. Uh, and near the near the end of the introduction, you note that while claiming to inherit the Chinese Buddhist tradition, uh, Taiwanese are also remaking it. So there's a certain yeah. comparative aspect here comparing uh, what they're doing now to what has come before. Right. And then a third set of questions, it seems to me, seeks to place the resurgence of female Buddhist monasticism in Taiwan in the larger social context and uh, understand the reasons for the resurgence. Um, also in the introduction... Yeah. You provide a synopsis of views of Buddhist nuns throughout Chinese history, focusing right. on the only two collections of nuns' uh-huh. biographies to have been written, one in uh, 516 and the other one in the first half of the 20th century. Right. And then you also cover portrayals of nuns in Chinese literature, showing that they were often de- depicted as immoral and that their motives for becoming nuns were usually attributed to um poverty, chronic illness, or yes. failure to find a husband or a satisfying right. romantic relationship. And then in yes. the second half of the introduction, you bring us up to the 20th century and the present, noting the rise of humanistic Buddhism, the rise in the number of females in Taiwan uh, who are becoming monastics, yes. and uh, the changing demographics in the Taiwanese nunnery. Uh, and then going on to chapter two, you talk about the origins of the incense like community itself, mm-hmm. which was yes. started already at a uh, at an already extant temple in central Taiwan, uh-huh. right? And you also give the uh, biographical sketches of uh-huh. sort of three of the main of the figures central to the founding of the temple, and right. then the chapter 
ends with the uh, depart these sort of disagreements between Shinja uh, and uh, yes. Wu Yin and the former's departure in 1990. So I was wondering if for our listeners you could uh, briefly describe the founding of the community, beginning yes. with uh, Shinja's arrival there in 1974, and right. and if you could discuss some of the is- issues central to the development of the community, such as the tension yes. between the villagers and the nuns and between right. different approaches to, uh, to the education of nuns. Yes, yeah. Uh, this community uh, is a headquarter even today, uh, you know, it's uh, located in the mountains, mm. uh, in, in, uh, outside Jiayi, uh, which is in the cent- central part of Taiwan. Mm. Uh, and it's called the Xiangguang Temple or Xiangguang Si. Now, uh, like a number of other temples, uh, uh, Originally, this is called a called a, a local temple. Mm. Namely, you know, there is a, um, the temple established by the local uh, villagers, mm. and and it's not a Buddhist. You I know, see. they would uh, they they worship uh, they worship uh, called Guanyin uh, Guanyin Ma. Now, Guanyin Ma is like a local. A popular uh, understanding of Guan Yin, you know, regarding uh, uh, not as a Bodhisattva, you know, but as a goddess. Mm-hmm. So similar to Mazu and for other goddesses. Yes. Uh, but after 1948, in when a large number of mainland Chinese Buddhists came to Taiwan, um, there's. Um, very often, these local temples, you know, became uh, transformed mm. into Buddhist temples. You know, what happened is that local villagers, you know, would invite a monk or nun, you know, to be in charge. Mm-hmm. And but they they still, you know, carry out their regular religious uh, practices. You know, namely to you know come over to offer incense. You know, every the first and fifteenth uh, of the month, mm. and and then on special holidays, you know, they would make uh, actually, you know, they they would make meat offerings, you know, as mm. they usually do. Right? Um, so originally, I think that when the villagers invited Xinjie to come, you know, they thought you know, she would simply be a a, a caretaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they will continue to perform their regular, you know, traditional practices. Right. Yeah. However, because Xinjie uh, was uh, already a friend of Wu Yin, and and Wu Yin uh, is more educated. Mm-hmm. You know, she finished her uh, Buddhist seminary in Taipei. And then she also went abroad, and she came to Hawaii, mm. uh, and she learned English whenever she's in Hawaii. And actually, originally, she wanted to continue getting a master's degree, uh, but because of other events, she had to go back to Taiwan. And But prior to that, she already had a BA degree mm. you know, from a Taiwan university. So Xinjie invited her to take over, uh, and... Wu Yin, by that time, when, he, when she came, 
there's already a number of college graduates uh, who wanted to become nuns. You know, so you have this uh, kind of convergence of uh, causes. You have uh, the change of leadership. You know, Wu Yin, who is herself educated, mm-hmm. and then the influx of a number of young college uh, women graduates who want to become nuns. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they decided to to set up a Buddhist seminary, okay? and to really uh, follow this humanistic Buddhism mm-hmm. uh, path okay? to engage Buddhism. In other words, mm-hmm. uh, so that's when the, the conflict with the villagers uh, started. In mm-hmm. that, I think happened in 1990. Oh, I forgot in a few years before I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 1990s. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so eventually, you know, it was resolved. Yes. But for a while, you know, it was quite tense. I see. You know? Okay. So this was the conflict um, concerning building a new building in front of the old one, yes. right? Right, yeah. So what happened is the new building uh, is totally uh, very, very modern. You know, it has absolutely no... Uh, you know, no traditional uh, decor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, um, uh, gray cement. You know, actually, later on, I found out, you know, it's very much inspired uh, by the Japanese, the architectural Japanese new religion. Uh-huh. Yeah, like Soka Gakai, for instance. Yes. Uh, or racial Koseki. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't look like a temple, you know, it's, it's just very, very, um, grand, uh, but, um, but devoid of any kind of garish, mm-hmm. you know, the, the colorful decoration and so on. And, uh, uh, so their activity, the nuns activity, it comes to me on the front side, mm-hmm. the front side call. The back, it's a very, it's a just very, very traditional, you know, local temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And the villagers continue to offer incense and so on there, you know, mm. in the back. So it kind of, there's a spatial division. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the villagers would never set set on the front hall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, so you sort of have your humanistic Buddhism in the front hall yes. and your right. sort of more traditional sort of. Mm-hmm. Taiwanese religious mm-hmm. practices in the back, I see. Yes. Yeah. So um, could you uh, sort of uh, round out the discussion of Chapter 2 by just mentioning the, uh, uh, for pe- listeners oh, the, who haven't, who haven't uh, read the book, the um, yes. uh, uh, Shinji, Shinju. The Oxford? Right. Yes. There was right. A, right. Yes. Basically, the, the, the differences between the two is a uh, uh, Wu uh, um, I mean, uh, Wu Yin and her nuns, you know, the young nuns uh, who who joined um, when the college graduates. You know, mm-hmm. there's a group, and particularly the three of them who uh, who played the leadership role in among the the new entrants. Mm-hmm. First of all, Wu Yin, I think even now. You know, it's very, very, uh, her leadership style, you know, it's very, um, very democratic. 
And I was so much struck, you know, when I went there. They always have meetings before mm-hmm. any major decision. All the community members community will get together and they will discuss hmm. you know, what they should do. And some meeting will last uh, two hours. Yeah. And uh, so, so she really want to push uh, this uh, uh, follow the humanistic Buddhism path. You know, namely that uh, they should be, you know, engaged in uh, in public service, mm-hmm. uh, teaching. Uh, in eventually, you know, the establishment of uh, Buddhist study classes, mm-hmm. you know, which are the classes open to the to the public free of charge, teaching them about Buddhism, and that was their, her idea, and also very much supported by the young nuns. While mm. Shenzhi, on the other hand, is very traditional. You know, her idea is that they should be studying. First of all, she's a for Firm believer, very fervent devotee of Lotus Sutra. Mm-hmm. She believes that Lotus Sutra represents, you know, the highest uh, truth of Buddhism, mm. and you should chant it, you should memorize it, and also, uh, you know, um, chanting Buddha's name, mm. uh, and not so much, you know, all these activities, you know, because she. Right. Kinji felt, you know, that that is diversion, you know, that would draw you away from your personal. So, so already there was tension, you know, because of different approaches. Mm-hmm. And then things came to a head, you know, because at the suggestion of some of the young nuns, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they started to invite uh, outside specialists, mm-hmm. you know, teach them about. Uh, you know, uh, management, uh, about psychology, mm-hmm. social work, uh, and so on and so forth. You know, so also uh, just secular, some are Chinese, some are American, actually, mm. uh, scholars who come to teach them, you know, how to run the community in a modern, uh, using modern, uh, you know, management techniques. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that uh, uh, that really, you know, uh, made Sinji uh, become very, very angry. Yes, thinking that they ha- they have gone totally, you know, became very worldly. Yes, uh, so she, so she resigned and left. she went back to Kaohsiung, uh, where she originally came from. And she had her own place, you know, yeah. uh, she continued her own way of teaching there. Well, it sounds like the differences between them are um, split a bit along one of the, um, yes. along the lines of one of the central issues of the book that you discuss, which is the distinction between uh, a view of nuns as uh, engaged solely in sort of personal religious practice and nuns as religious mm-hmm. teachers. Um, so I wanted to move on to chapter three yeah. now, in which you focus on Wu Yin um, more or less exclusively and introduce yeah. us to her. Um, she's the woman who, uh, the nun who took over the position yeah. of abbess in 1980 and who right. continues to be abbess, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah, she's still, yeah, she continues to be. Right. And, and you note that, like many in Taiwan, she grew up without any contact with Buddhism, her first encounter being when she yeah. was 16. 
and right. like, a, like a number of nuns to whom you introduce us, um, her initial attraction to Buddhism was based on an emotionally charged impression yes. rather than an interest in uh, Buddhist thought or philosophy. Uh-huh. Yes. Though you also mentioned that she was attracted to the idea of being able to study so much and not have to worry right. about the household duties uh, that mm-hmm. Taiwanese women of, women of her generation yeah. were expected to shoulder or perform. Uh, and also you note that while Wu Yin never identified as feminist, in many ways she held a number of views found in uh, certain strains of feminism. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could speak about Wu Yin's formative years, her views mm-hmm. of women, her view of education, and her disconcerting realization after 11 years as a nun that Buddhist nuns were encouraged to engage in self-cultivation but not to become teachers. Uh, she always uh, talked about how growing up, uh, you know, she was very much struck by the, um, you know, kind of uh, the d- discrimination uh, uh, as a as a woman, mm. yeah, because you know she came from a very large family, and uh, uh, every time the you know all the clan get together. You know, she said, you know, women would, uh, uh, you know, just work in the kitchen, would never sit down to have dinner to, with the man folks. Yes. And so they would eat only when the man finished eating, and they kind of eat, <laughs> and then they eat the, what's left over. <laughs> and and uh, also uh, that the mother always told her uh, that the education is of no use because you when you get married, you know, you can spend the time cooking and washing diapers. So what is studying? You know, what would that do? Uh, whereas, uh, you know, man, uh, her brothers, you know, could go to go to school. And so she actually stopped going to school when she, I think, only finished sixth grade. Right. Mm. And so, and, but she always, she says she really loved to study. Right? And so... Uh, I think the decision of becoming a nun, uh, probably, um, even though the initial, uh, impetus, you know, was this, the, 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 impre- the attraction she felt, you know, by uh, attending this, uh, uh, ceremony of basing the Buddha, you know, in, in Taipei, you know, mm-hmm. new, new park. Uh, how, but she had this idea that by becoming not by not getting married actually primarily mm. uh then you can she can pursue study you know she had time to you know to you know to pursue her interest in study mm-hmm. um, so uh after she became a nun, I think she received a lot a tremendous uh in encouragement and also you know, she was very much impressed by another nun you know is uh, uh, Tian Yi mm-hmm. you know, who used to say that whatever monks can do you know nuns can do also mm-hmm. you know? so nuns can manage our own affairs mm. you know? so whatever man can do women can do mm. okay? so in that regard you know she is definitely in a feminist 
Mm-hmm. Even though she never says, she never identifies herself as a feminist. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. But they always believe, she and also the other nuns, you know, I talk to, they always be, always say that we are equal, you know, men and women are equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so is that what, uh, um, yeah, I, I wanted to um, also note one thing, which was that you note you note that um, the education of level of women becoming nuns in Taiwan gradually yes. increased, but right. even with that trend, it seems that the that incense light temple attracted a disproportionately high number of women who had completed either two year technical schools or four year colleges. And I, well, I was wondering how representative uh, this is or was, but also I was wondering yeah. whether Wu Yin's presence there had something to do with this uh, disproportionately high number of uh, college-educated women who were seeking to become nuns at Incense Light Temple. Uh-huh. Um, no, I think um, in that early years, 1980s, mm-hmm. Uh, I think this in, not just in Xiangguang, uh, but the other other uh, Buddhist communities. Mm. You see the same phenomena. You know, college student, female college students uh, wanting to become nuns. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, uh, I think a very famous uh, you know incident happened in Zhongtai mm. Monastery, which is. Uh, uh, which was headed by by a monk, you know, Wei Jue, uh, uh, Master Wei Jue. Mm-hmm. Zhongtai was located uh, also in central part of Taiwan, and uh, so I think it's in nineteen maybe um, early nineteen nineties. Mm. You know, uh, like other Buddhists. Uh, temples, they run uh, summer camps, you know, for college students. Mm-hmm. So that year, after uh, the, the, the summer camp ended, 100 uh, women college students decided to become nuns. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a group, uh, uh, you know, decision, you know, to become nuns. And mm-hmm. that became a, a, a very famous, called the Zhongtai Incident. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the parents, you know, come and say they they, they must be brainwashed, mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. and they tried actually to uh, to save their daughters. Mm, wow! So there's a tremendous media curi- uh, cur- coverage, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. but eventually, I think um, it, it turned out to be, uh, you know, it's okay. No women really want to become nuns. Right. Mm-hmm. And Tai right now, I think, uh, has both the largest uh, population of nuns. I think over, over 1,000. Oh, wow. 1,000 nuns in Zhongtai. Yes. Right? And, and Foguang Buddha Light, also, I think, is close to 1,000 nuns. Wow. Right? Uh, so, the, so, so those, those really large Buddhist communities have even more, more nuns. Wow! Yeah. So by comparison, Xiangong only have less than one hundred. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it was a kind of a general tendency 
in the 1980s for college women who become want to become a nuns. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, what is unique, I think, about Xiangguang is that they are, uh, uh, I think, uh, because Wu Yin emphasizes education, you know, so so they really concentrated on uh, on education, on culture and education, mm-hmm. you know. So um, they started teaching um, public in, in this. Uh, um, Buddhist classes. Right, right. They were the first ones, you know, who started to offer uh, instructions about Buddhism in such a systematic manner. Yes, you know, right. because it's modeled upon high school. You know, it's six week, uh, sixteen weeks. You meet once a week for three hours, and there's a elementary, intermediate. And advanced classes. Yes. You know, one, each class, each level runs for one year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So n- now I think other Buddhist communities also start offering something similar, but not as systematic because they were the ones who also compiled their textbooks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so textbooks, and they also, you know, the, you know, assign students homework. Uh, and mm-hmm. exams, midterm exam, final exam, <laughs> graduation, uh, and extracurricular activities, you know, mm-hmm. competition of cooking, or uh, also physical, you know, uh, exercise, I mean, I mean uh, sports competition and so on. Mm-hmm. And so, it's, uh, so the model is really high school. Yeah, yeah. They teach them about Buddhism. Uh, and then they also have publishing uh, prices. They have uh, they publish regularly a journal, and also they have uh, their own uh, publishing presses, you know, which publish books. Mm-hmm. So I think in Taiwan they are famous, you know, for the educational and the cultural um, uh, activities. I see. I see. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Right. Okay. They also have a very very advanced library kind of information system. You know, All right. They, yeah, so. Um, okay, so thank you for that. Um, I wanted to, I want to ask you a bit more about the specific, uh, specifically about the adult education classes that you discuss right. in Chapter 5, but just before that, I wanted to um, just discuss the rise of Buddhist uh, college Buddhist study societies because these seem to be sort of the um, framework out of which um, a lot of people who end up as nuns at Incense Light um, this is is sort of the context out of which they come. So in chapter 4 you discuss the the social and economic trends against which the growth of the incense like community must be understood and you know the religious renaissance in taiwan that began in the 1980s and the focus of the chapter is these college buddhist studies societies um so i was wondering if you could uh talk just tell our listeners a bit about the what these college buddhist studies societies were and where they came from um, and also, uh, another thing that you discuss in this chapter mm-hmm. is uh, you discuss some of the 
sort of socio- uh, socioeconomic reasons that becoming yes. a nun became an increasingly uh-huh. attractive option for Taiwanese women from, say, the 1970s yes. on, and also why this occupation lost some of its stigma. Uh-huh. Right. Um, uh, Sorry, that was sort of two questions yeah, in one. Right. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, based on my interview uh, with the nuns, I think majority of them, you know, came to know about Buddhism and then eventually decided to become nuns uh, by uh, joining the Buddhist uh, uh, association mm-hmm. when they were in college. You know, because before um, before 1987, you know, before the so-called, um, uh, you know, Taiwan was under martial law mm-hmm. you know, until 1987. Uh, before that, uh not only there was no instruction about religion, as I told you, no courses on religion, but nuns and monks were not allowed to set foot on campus. Mm. And uh, uh, so there's really no way for the college students, you know, to to know any monastics, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, but in 1960, uh, some of uh, actually, started in National Taiwan University. Um, the students organized a club. You know, it's, it's just like uh, uh, you know the student clubs you know, we have in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Except they call themselves uh, Buddhist Study Associ- Buddhist Study Association. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, once the Thai Taiwan University in established, the other colleges also followed. Mm, I see. Right. Now, the reason why this first Buddhist association could get established on campus was due to the effort uh, of a layman. You know, his name is Zhou Xuande. You know, I, I, I really credit the two laymen. One is Zhou Xuande in Taipei. Mm, the other mm. one is uh, Li Binan in Taichung. Mm, uh, both mm. of them are very pious Buddhists, yet they also have very close connection with the nationalist government. Mm-hmm, okay? mm-hmm. Uh, so they were the ones who promoted uh, the study of Buddhism uh, among Kurdish students. I see. You know, by... Uh, you know, providing scholarships. When Joe Shander provides scholarships, you know, to uh, students who can write the best essay, you know, after they have read uh, uh, books about Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And he also founded a journal called uh, Torture Wisdom, you know, which is still ongoing even today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the students can, can uh, you know, have their, their uh, articles published. Uh, the monks also can, you know, uh, and have uh, articles published. So this way, Kurdish uh, students get to, to know about Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they organize field trips so they can go out, uh, go away from the campus and visit temples. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so that, that is a very, very important, you know, kind of uh, the path, how they how they they uh, you know they get to uh, to know about uh, about Buddhism mm-hmm. and some of them decided you know to join to mm-hmm. become first. Uh, as for 
uh, how why uh, so many women, you know, become uh, nuns? Then I think we have to look into the the economic situation of Taiwan. Mm. Because in from the nineteen particular nineteen eighty nineteen ninety, you know, Taiwan became one of the what the four little dragon. Mm-hmm. I think. Right, together with Korea, Singapore, and and uh, Taiwan, South Korea, uh, Singapore, yeah, Korea, uh, yes, Korea, <laughs> Taiwan, um, Singapore, and Hong Singapore, Kong, Hong Kong, right. So this yeah, the economic development, and together with that, uh, many many colleges, new colleges. You know, were gradually established. Mm. You know, when I was in college in Taiwan, you can count the number of colleges with your two two hands. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, but now uh, there are several hundreds. Yeah. The latest, I think, someone told me there are five hundred. Wow. Okay. So, so the increase the increase the number of colleges made more women to be able to be to go to college. Now, once they graduate from college, uh, many of them are in some jobs. So you have increase of professional women, right? And then some of them, uh, you know, uh, do not get married, you know, because once they have the economically independent, you know, then uh, marriage became a choice. Yeah, I right? see. You don't have to get married. So. I noticed for the first time in the 1990s when I went to Taiwan, uh, I'm, I, the first, very first time, you know, I, I saw a large number of women in the 40s who were not married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to remain single as a professional woman, you know, were no longer a, um, a stigma. I see. People no longer ask, you know, I, I remember when, when I was much younger, in my 30s, when I went back to Taiwan, people always ask, uh, you know, how come your husband is not was not with you, mm. right? But yeah. in 1990s, no one mentioned anything about your husband mm. <laughs> <laughs> because they do not assume that everyone's married, uh-huh. right? So with the loss of, of uh, this stigma of not getting married, then to become a nun also uh, loses its uh, the stigma. I see, I see. In, in fact, when I asked the nuns, I said, because some of them were professional women. Some of them were teachers or they work in the, the companies and so on mm. uh, before they became nuns, you know, in, in between college graduation and becoming nuns. There were a few years they were professional women. So when I asked them why they became nuns, they said, actually, you know, they felt safer you know, to join a community instead of living in an apartment in a big uh, city as mm. a single woman. Yeah. Right. Huh. So, yeah, so it's a connect with a larger, you know, social change. Sure. Yeah. So, well, th- thank you for that. that um, uh-huh. uh, the, the one of the last um, in the penultimate chapter uh chapter five you um oh sorry no that's not right you have um well in chapter five you uh in chapter five you turn to the education of the nuns in the incense like community 
Um, and you begin by outlining the origins of Buddhist seminaries in late Qing and, Repu- and uh, China yeah. and during the, and in China during the Repu- Republican period. Uh-huh. Uh, and discuss seminaries in Taiwan, which weren't founded yeah. until after 1949. And yeah. then you mm-hmm. actually give a, us a very detailed uh, description of the uh-huh. seminary curriculum yeah. at Incense Light. And yeah. uh, this chapter is going to be particularly interesting uh, particularly useful and rich uh-huh. for anyone interested yes. in the actual curriculum and education of mm-hmm. nuns in Taiwan. Uh, then in chapter six, you go on to the uh, Buddhist adult classes, mm-hmm. which you seem to single out as one of the most innovative aspects of the incense like community. And uh, I think you described it at one place as sort of their central mission at some point. Um, these classes are free, and yet they you point out that they serve as the economic foundation to the community since most of the graduates of these classes, mm-hmm. uh, which these classes are for lay people, so most of the gra- yes. graduates of these classes make donations to the community long after they graduate. And yeah. also in this chapter, you go into great detail as to the curriculum, and you provide an abundance of mm-hmm. quotes from students and essays and exams from the textbooks mm-hmm. designed for the adult classes. Uh, and quotes from the nuns teaching the classes. So in the time we have left, I was wondering if you could uh, discuss um, either the actual, I mean, both are very interesting topics, either the education of uh, nuns in the incense-like community or perhaps the the Buddhist adult classes. Maybe better to discuss the Buddhist adult classes since this is really the most innovative part of the incense-like community's approach, it would seem. Yes. Yeah. The adult classes um, uh, were all taught, uh, were taught by the nuns mm-hmm. uh, who graduated from uh, from uh, the incense-like Buddhist uh, uh, seminary. Uh, the seminary uh, runs five years. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So even though you know, uh, the nuns who graduate from college, you know, they have to study five more years mm-hmm. you know, when they become nuns and to, to um, go through the past, uh, the, the courses offered by the Buddhist seminary. Mm-hmm. The way they teach uh, the adult classes, I think, is very much based on their own training. Mm-hmm. You know? um, uh, because uh after they graduate from the seminary, they have to serve as a teachers in the adult classes for two years mm-hmm. before they rotate out and do something else. I see. Uh, uh, since the, the textbooks were also compiled by them, right? uh, so they really, I felt, reflect their view, you know, their understanding of what or the Buddhist tradition, uh, you know, is mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what they what they, they want the public know about Buddhism. Mm. And what is interesting is that they are. I I, I regard that their attitude towards Buddhism, you know, is very very non-sectarian. Mm. Because even in the first elementary textbook textbook for the elementary class. Already, you know, they introduce the four noble truths, eight four noble paths, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
together with the six perfections. Mm. Mm. I, uh, they do not say, okay, the Four Noble Truths, you know, now that's early Buddhism, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. six perfections is Mahayana Buddhism. You know, they, they do not make uh, they, a, a clear distinction between so-called early Buddhism uh, or Mahayana Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's very, I, I guess, ecumenical, mm-hmm. non-sectarian. And they also do not, you know, singled out like Chinese Buddhism as somehow, you know, different mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, Indian Buddhism or, 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 uh, so, so this is very striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really kind of representative of the larger, uh, uh situation in Taiwan, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Because I start to notice it, and then I continue to become more and more convinced that's the case. Namely, right now in Taiwan, there seems to be uh, equally, or maybe even more interest uh, in Tibetan Buddhism Mm -hmm. and also in Southern Buddhism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, than in in China or Pure Land. And uh, and also the talk about so-called original Buddhism. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. The tremendous interest in original Buddhism. Okay. Yeah. So in the textbooks, actually, there's a lot of you know uh, space devoted to life of the Buddha, uh, to his major disciples, to Emperor Ashoka, mm. and, uh, and so on. And so so the equal. A kind of coverage of Indian Buddhism, you know, than uh, on Chinese Buddhism. Mm. Mm. So, uh, so, so I, I think this is quite interesting, you know, yes. this effort of trying to present Buddhism, you know, as this uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, non-sectarian. Right. That's the best word. Right. Say. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that part of the book, I think, too, is I found particularly interesting, and I think it will be particularly pertinent to uh, anyone interested in sort of Buddhist uh, modernizing tendencies and mm-hmm. um, sort of some of the issues revolving around Buddhist traditions that then become aware of other Buddhist traditions and how they um, mm-hmm. uh, sort of come to terms with different traditions. Um, we've, yeah. we've taken up a lot of your time, um, uh, and no, I want to thank you. Thank you. Oh. Right. No, you have been, you are, apparently you read my book very carefully. <laughs> no, no. So, <laughs> um, so all the questions are very, very nice, very good, very <laughs> nicely put. Yes. Oh, thank you. Um, so uh, as the last question, I wanted to ask if there's uh, anything yes. that you're working on right now. Um, I mean, this uh-huh. b- book was o- only just published recently, so I, I, I hope you're taking a rest for the time being. But uh-huh. um, is there is there anything uh, in your future, in your uh-huh. immediate future research-wise? Or Okay. Uh, you know, off and on, um, you know, I have been uh, interested – you know, so-called the creation of Chinese Buddhist pantheon. Mm. You know, namely, you know, very often uh, the in Chinese in the Chinese Buddhists kind of uh, uh, concentrate on certain 
you know, bodhisattvas and put them together to worship. Mm. You know, for instance, uh, Kshitigarbha, you know, Dizang, it was very important in China, but it was not so important in India, mm. right, or in Tibet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and then there's an infant phenomenon as early as the 7th century, the Chinese uh, Buddhists start to worship Dizang uh, or Kshitigarbha together with Guan Yin. Hmm. You know, the two really have no no scriptural basis. Mm-hmm. You know, yet yet they were worshipped as a pair. You know, yes. so so I, I uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, evidence in sculpture of the two. Uh, you know, sculpted their their um, their, their side side by side. Yes, you know, or uh, in particular in Sichuan. So. So I, I, I was interested in that. I've uh, written uh, you know, articles and gave talks about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is a uh, ongoing interest. But more recently, you know, I've been thinking it's still kind of preliminary. But I think more and more I, I head towards that this direction. Mm-hmm. Namely, having taught Buddhism for forty three years mm. <laughs> in this country. <laughs> What can I, uh, you know, offer, uh, contribute to the field, you mm. know, uh, not just a, a kind of scholarly, uh, you know, field, but really for fellow teachers. Yes. Right? Uh, so I thought maybe if I write a textbook, mm. you know, on, on Chinese Buddhism, mm. you know, right now we don't have any. You know? That's right. We don't I mean, know. the only one, only one we have, were either too old, you know, written about 50, 60 years ago, right. or they were too specialized, mm-hmm. you know, like Eric Zerchers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which actually ends in, in six dynasties, you know, mm. even further. And Kenneth Chen's book also, you know, that's published in 1965, and uh, it really uh, is, is uh, I used it. You know, but but I think it's not that convenient to use to teach undergraduate mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. Right? And furthermore, you know, there's the coverage very uneven. I know? see. Right. So after after mean really is very little uh-huh. in, in in his survey. Uh, so so I thought maybe uh, you know even though it's a big challenge because <laughs> my my writing is up until now is. Is uh, is very very different, mm-hmm. you know, from writing a textbook. It requires different skill, right? You know, different, uh, you know, approach. Uh, but I think maybe it's worthwhile, you know, to really try. Well, that would be a very welcome contribution. Yeah. Um, well. <laughs> all right. Well, I thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today. Aha. Uh-huh. Wow, thank you. No, thank you for giving me time. Yeah. No, not at all. The pleasure was mine. So you've been listening to New Books in Buddhist Studies. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>